Spring is basically a second holiday season. Mother's Day, Father's Day, weddings, the list goes on. And what better way to celebrate them than with Drizzly, the go-to app for alcohol delivery. Drizzly is the easiest way to shop local stores and compare prices on a huge selection of beer, wine, and spirits, then get them delivered to your door. Download the app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com today. Must be 21 plus. Not available in all locations. What's up, friends? Welcome back to another episode of the New Evangelicals podcast. Um, I got to say, I've been getting on guests, at least for me, that I've really enjoyed talking to. I hope that you've enjoyed them. And this episode is no different. I have Megan Madsen on the podcast. She is a theologian who focuses a lot on the Wesleyan tradition, which, interestingly enough, has a lot of roots in early evangelicalism. And we talk about you know, why social justice is actually very biblical. Uh, Megan is someone who has thought through a lot of these things biblically, who knows a lot about the Bible and really ties together um, how even in Judaism, oppression and taking care of neighbor are our priorities to God. And we talk a lot about that and how in our current evangelical culture, a lot of that is just missing, which are things that we've talked about a lot on our Facebook community um, and on the Instagram. But it's always good to have a theologian come on and talk about it from their expertise. And today is a great episode about that. So I really hope you enjoyed this episode. That being said, you know, we really are beginning to start the process of turning over a whole new chapter with New Evangelicals, which is just so exciting. Um, a big announcement is coming September 1st, so mark your calendars for that. We're unveiling just the next steps, where we're heading, what we need, and um, I'm, I'm very excited for all of it. So stay tuned for that. Um, I appreciate everyone who is sharing the podcast, who is sharing the YouTube videos, who is liking, subscribing. It means so much to us. If you can give us a rating and review, you on Apple Podcasts. That would be a huge help. It goes so far. I got to say, this is truly a community effort. There are people behind the scenes helping me out with show notes, with website stuff, with uh, organization. And that's how we want to run New Evangelicals going forward, which I think is just, is just the best way. I love the concept of a community coming together to make things happen. If you want to support the show and New Evangelicals, you can do it by clicking in, uh, clicking on one of the links below uh, in either the YouTube, you know, uh, show notes or on the podcast show notes. All right, friends, enough of me. Let's listen to me <laughs> interview Megan. I hope you enjoy this episode. Megan, thank you for coming on. I appreciate you making time on a weeknight. Uh, it means a lot. So thank you. Absolutely. Thanks, Tim. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I, I, this is another one where I've had two people and I've interviewed that I found out uh, or I found out about via Instagram. Uh, followers, you know, message me saying, "Hey, get this person on." So you're you're number two on my list, which is great. So uh, yeah, exactly. So I'm glad it worked out. Yes, seriously, networking. Why don't you kind of give me and some of the listeners your kind of your background? You know, did you grow up in, yeah. in evangelical spaces? Where are you now, et cetera? Yeah. Um, so I grew up in a very small town, rural North Idaho. Mm. Um, so like a couple hours South of the Canadian border backwoods town, my hometown mascot is the lumberjacks. If that gives you a kind of like All image right. there, I got um, it. town of 2,600 people. Um, so kind of grew up in this beautiful mountain Valley river Valley town. Um, and I think, 
I grew up kind of with this, like, Oh, I just can't wait to get away from here. You know? Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think in some ways now having gone through, um, multiple, um, so yeah. So from there, I'll come back to that. But sure. from there, I went on to college at Northwest Nazarene University down in Nampa, Idaho, mm-hmm. got an undergraduate degree in Christian ministries with an emphasis in pastoral ministries. Um, so that just means um, I was looking to like pastoral, lead pastoral ministry, not yeah. like youth ministry, children's ministry, missionary, et cetera. Right. Um, after that, I served with Ben Kramer, who you've also um, interviewed I on the show. I love Ben. I, he's in a group chat with me and someone else. We yeah. talk almost every day. I love Ben. He's, he's great. A again yeah he, is he uh, he's a hooligan yeah in like the most like quiet trolling way um so like well, okay, i so do have to say story about that yeah really quick it's funny because when i yeah. first met ben i interviewed him he comes like you know very kind of like you said kind of quiet and very then we're talking stoic. over over yeah stoic great word and we're talking over text one day he's like oh by the way i'm a lead singer in this metal band check this out because I, I i'm in the metal mm-hmm. and i hear him like growling i'm like who is this ben you know so <laughs> that went to me for a loop yeah yeah so at his first church that he pastored at as a lead pastor i was his first associate pastor. I was the youth and family discipleship pastor there. Wow. And our very first staff meeting together, I have, at that point, I had never seen the office. I have seen it all now since, so don't freak out in the comments, people. But I had never seen it at that point. And he, I say something like offhanded and sarcastic to him and completely deadpan. He says, why are you the way that you are? I hate all of the things you choose to be. And with no context for that at all, I was like, I'm working for a psychopath this is horrible. And he sees like the fear come oh. into my face. And he was like, no, no, it's a show. It's a show. Have you not yes. seen this? Yes. Yes. Sent me like links to watch the by, office. Over by quoting Michael over Scott, he became Michael Scott in that moment. It's exactly. And made everything real awkward. <laughs> yeah. That's Ben. So yeah. So then at towards at the, after an undergrad, I started working for Ben. I worked there for a couple years. Mm. Um, so the church was uh, kind of like an urban area. So I worked with primarily the youth of the church. Um, most of them did not grow up in the church. Most mm. of them um, don't have fa- didn't have families that attended the church. Most of them were at or below poverty line, all those sorts of things. Um, so I had like youth group sermons about the importance of brushing our teeth and hygiene and those sorts of things. Wow. Um, which was very different than like the adults of the church who are mostly aged, older, very traditionally evangelical. Mm. Um, so there was like this almost like two congregations within the church. Mm. Um, and then shortly into my tenure there, I just realized I needed some more tools in my kit as a pastor. Yeah. Um, and so realized, um, that I needed to go to seminary and really felt led that direction by the spirit at that point. Um, was feeling led to uh, remain in the tradition, the denomination I was a part of. Um, Mm -hmm. And so went to the denominational seminary in Kansas Mm -hmm. City, Missouri, Nazarene Mm -hmm. Theological Seminary. Um, And so to kind of place that denomination, it's a Wesleyan holiness tradition. So it's evangelical Wesleyan. um, So brought on by the the ministry and theology of John Wesley and Charles Wesley. and then kind of situated itself um, kind of firmly within kind of evangelicalism through the culture wars. Mm. Um, so started off with a huge impetus and a huge force for social justice. And then um, really got tangled up in holiness being don't do's yeah. and no's and holiness being really a defining um, who's in, who's out. Mm. Um, so went there, ab- absolutely loved my education there. loved my time there. 
um, was really shaped and formed by that. Started serving at a church called New Beginnings um, in the Summit, Missouri. Yes, named for General Lee. So wow. <laughs> very much, yeah, very much s- strong struggles with institutional racism in that city. Um, mm. And our church owned a strip mall. I pastored the youth there for a while, and then I pastored the strip mall. So the things they don't teach you in seminary are like construction bids. And that's what I did Um, with the idea of this church moved into this strip mall, was remodeling it, was revitalizing it, was practicing justice in our community by working with local businesses Mm. um, and locally owned businesses. And um, that was our justice push. And that was our push of we are here and this is who we're called to be. And this is what righteousness looks like. Mm. Yeah. Um, And so, yeah, so I pastored there for a few years and then um met my husband while I was at seminary who uh felt led and called to come pastor a church in North Idaho pastored there for a few years and through the pandemic um God really started to open up some of those boxes about um institutional justice and whether I should remain in an institution that I didn't really believe in anymore or mm. if I should try to make moves to depart from it um and the kind of the resounding answer through all of that was yeah, it's time to go. Um, that my calling wasn't to stay and try to change, but to leave mm. and be a part of something that was already going. Um, so I'm uh, now going on July 1st, I start my first appointment in the United Methodist Church. Um, so I'll be serving Covenant United Methodist in Spokane, Washington. I think Ben also went to Methodist Church as well. So it's yeah. interesting, and we don't. I don't want to focus too long here, but the Church of the Nazarene. Yeah. You know, since I've mm-hmm. had this account, I've met quite a few people who are in that denomination. Uh, many mm-hmm. who are, were pastors who have since left, and mm-hmm. it's you know I, I can't speak on like a, a data driven level if if this is like a max a mass exodus, yeah. but certainly it seems like the people I'm talking to feel like there is a big shift happening of like I guess some power hungry old white people who want to kind of keep the guard, the status quo or the denomination, yeah. the status quo and are kind of mm-hmm. pushing out um, yeah. people who maybe are saying, Hey, let's get back to our Wesleyan roots. Let's get back to, yeah. you know, um, a, a justice that is individual and corporate. And yeah. some people are just saying, no, mm-hmm. absolutely not. Yeah. So I will first of all, start with the disclaimer that I know a lot of Nazarene pastors who are staying with yeah. the intention of shifting the narrative, mm. um, I've discerned in my life that that is not my calling sure. to stay and shift. But yes, that's very much what's happening. Um, as we kind of see this stratification in our country, right? This division of really since the 2016 election, yeah. right? Where we kind of, and I, what I would say is I think that election pulled the covers off of what was always yes, there and was right. quiet. That's right. It was an unveiling. It was a revelation of yeah. this is actually who we are as the American church. And for, yeah. I think so many of us, that was really traumatic. Mm-hmm. Um, and that very much happened in all of our denominations as well. Um, um, yeah. hundred so. percent. Um, I agree. We, we, we talk a lot about that uh, on, on different podcasts and on the Instagram that I really believe that like what you said is so apt. It wasn't like it came out of nowhere. It was just maybe mm-hmm. more hidden, right? Maybe maybe the yeah. language was softer. Maybe the wording wasn't as direct. And then 2016 was a moment where it's like, oh my God, like this is, I mean, I really thought, yeah. and I say this a lot, but I really thought that when the comments from Trump 
uh, like mm-hmm. like the leaked audio of, of him talking to Access Hollywood, right? When that yep. came out, I thought, oh, well, he he's done. Like the evangelical church is mm-hmm. going to reject him. They'll spit him out. Um, and I mean, who knows now? This could be a big shift, maybe a third party. I mean, who knows? Like I'm kind of almost a little giddy at this point. And then Jerry Falwell comes out and says, you know, we need a pastor, our commander-in-chief, not a pastor-in-chief. And they circle the wagons. They call it locker room talk. And they keep pushing. And for me, that was a moment where I go, something like is something's not correct. The people who taught me never ever to even talk like that or not to look at the wrong images, not to lust after women, are now voting for a person who's on the cover of Playboy, who's had multiple affairs, and who also is threatening to sexually assault women. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Something is way wrong. So I agree with you. You know, I think a yeah. lot of that stuff was was really planted from like the 80s, right? From like the Jerry Falwell moral majority. And is it um, Reich, I think is his name is, his, 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 his like co-host over there, Robert Reich, who kind of formed that. But can you mm-hmm. kind of explain to us, my question to kind of yeah. start us off is, can you kind of give us a background on, on like this Wesleyan tradition? Because I'll, honestly, yeah. I, Ben talks about it a lot. You, you mentioned it. And I don't know if a lot of us really understand like what that tradition is, where it came from, and, and what it kind of stands for. Yeah. Um, so there are a number of denominations that draw their roots from the Wesley brothers. So John and Charles Wesley um, yeah. were Oxford-educated Anglican um, vicars um, in the 1700s. And essentially, um, so they go to Oxford, they get trained. John Wesley gets sent to Georgia to do pastoral ministry there um, well before the American Revolution. And so he's in the colonies. And um, an interesting part of that is that's the first time where he sees slavery. Hmm. And so he sees uh, black persons being enslaved and immediately respond with it, but they're made in the image of God. And so later in his life, he becomes a huge, um, a huge advocate for ending the slave trade in the British empire. Hmm. But so he sees that um, he, by all accounts, his ministry in Georgia was like an absolute disaster. Um, he like was engaged to this woman and broke it off and got reengaged several times. Cause he was like, should pastors get married? I don't know. <laughs> and so she just ditches him, gets married. And so when she returns from her honeymoon, he bars her and her husband from the Eucharist table and won't serve them. Oh, except for that. Her father was very powerful, <laughs> Georgia. And so he got sent home uh. on the ship home. Um, <laughs> okay. he encounters these Moravian monks, um, mm. and all through his life, he's really struggled with, am I saved? Am I not saved? Mm how do I know if I'm saved is his struggle. So while he was in Oxford studying, he forms um, these groups with his brother and they have these very stringent disciplines of uh, practicing faith. And so they get made fun of by their count, their colleagues who call them methodical, hence Methodists. Ah. Um, But so he's really still Hmm. struggling with this despite having started these things. And on the ship back, Um, He sees the Moravians and they get in a big storm and they think the ship's going to capsize. They think they're all going to die. And he's completely freaked out. He's like, I'm going to die. I don't know if I'm saved. Ah, pure panic. Right. And these Moravians are just sitting on the deck, singing hymns, praying totally at peace. And so he talks with them and essentially one of them says, preach faith until you have faith. And that's what they give him. And they pray with him. They comfort him. He receives peace and he continues the journey home. After a time, he goes to Aldersgate and experiences what he calls a strange warming of the heart. Hmm. And so he, for the first time, believes that he is really and truly saved. Okay. 
And so then he starts, he and Charles start this movement of reform for both the country of Great Britain, the British Empire, and the Anglican Church. And so whole, the whole thrust of it is love God, love neighbor, continue in good works. Huh. Um, very and so simple. They kind of, very simple. And so the Methodist movement was never intended to be anything other than a movement mm. um, within the Anglican Church. It was supposed to be a renewing order. Huh. Um, but the American Revolution broke out. And so that's kind of how it became a denomination is through that. Um, but essentially, the core tenets of Wesleyanism is that it's Arminian. So we believe in free will. Mm. Um, we believe in, um, you know, all the core tenets of Orthodox Christianity. We believe in all the creeds. Um, the special emphasis is that we genuinely believe the grace of God at work in our lives sanctifies and changes us as mm. we continue in love with God. Mm. Um, that we aren't stuck, um, as a reformed tradition would say, sinning in word, thought, and deed for all eternity, right? For all mm. of our lives. Wesley right. would really push against that and say, like, do good works. <laughs> like, right. Um, participate in love with God and with and love of neighbor, and you are doing good works. Right. Um, that faith does work itself out hmm. in good deeds, as James James's epistle tells us. Um, so he started some of um, so he gets barred from preaching at basically all of the Anglican parishes. <laughs> what a um, radical. In London. <laughs> yeah, that's really, and he was deemed too radical. Um, and so now they have statues of him outside of them. Um, but so he gets barred from preaching. And so he says, fine, the world is my parish. Nice. And he just begins preaching to the crowds of miners and workers in the Industrial Revolution and early stages of that transition. Um, not the Industrial Revolution, sorry, but the transition into like working class peoples he is preaching to them and starts some of the first schools for their children mm. um founds orphanages wow. um and he really um works to transform um the country in which he resides so he, methodism starts off just as like bands and societies of people meeting they ask each other questions like how is it with your soul and what are you doing to cultivate the work of god in your life and cultivate the love of god and love of neighbor in your life and um, just encouraging each other and challenging each other. Yeah. Um, and so the movement kind of just explodes and became um, for a long time, the largest mainline tradition in the United States. Um, and yeah, that's kind of the basic thrust of it. Um, they were the so, first, were they some of the first to also ordain women as well? Um, the Wesleyan tradition has a long history of that. Um, so the church of the Nazarene has always ordained women since mm. uh, before we could vote in this country. Um, John Wesley did encourage the leadership of women in the bands of societies, um, obviously because he was a faithful Anglican his whole life. He mm. uh, didn't really challenge the Church of England on that mm. very strongly, but right. he did repeatedly talk about the leadership of women. His mother was a huge, Susanna Wesley was a huge spiritual um, mother and led small groups in Sunday schools and essentially led a church in their home mm. um, without ordination. Yeah. Um, but yes, Wesleyanism... Um, at its core is a very egalitarian justice oriented movement um, within the church Catholic. And that movement now probably wouldn't sit too well in a lot of evangelical spaces, right? Because it yes. does seem like mm -hmm. uh, there's a widespread school of thoughts of both um, a non-egalitarian uh, egalitarian approach and also a non 
we can call it social justice, but anything that is corporate justice, right, is like automatically yes. liberal, which means it's automatically Marxist, which means it's automatically atheist, which means it's evil. That's like kind of yes. how this the, the progression goes, mm-hmm. right? Like you say, I want justice. People assume you're just, you know, you want to destroy America and just burn it down to the ground and whatever. It's been interesting, though, because the yeah. journey I've been on, mm-hmm. as I've been thinking about um, you know, the economy that we live in, capitalism, what it creates, this working class. Um, you know, I almost feel I'm like, I haven't read a lot of Marx, but what I have read, I'm like, well, like the guy wasn't on some of these thoughts like super wrong. <laughs> he wasn't, he wasn't <laughs> right? that far off, but I feel like right. the Marxist thing is such a boogeyman word. You know, oh, it's, it it's like me saying like, I'm a Christian and I deny the resurrection. And people are, you know, it's like, it's, it's a very big deal. But like, I think, again, from the little I read, like Marx had valid points that capitalism can really create um, a, um, an mm-hmm. economically enslaved working class that really props up a, a select few. And we see that more than ever now, right? I think the mm-hmm. stat is the top 50 richest you know, own as much wealth as the bottom 50% of Americans. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, it's happening. And I know that, that, I know that you're mm-hmm. passionate about this justice idea. Yeah, so, um, so why don't you kind of give us your perspective on like the Christian yeah. and justice and like where you are with it? Yeah. Um, yeah. So it is just so deeply ironic to me yeah. that so many Christians reject this idea of systemic justice <laughs> and reject the idea of systemic injustice, <laughs> Yeah. which to me just reveals y'all didn't read your old Testament. I agree. Um, because if you, what we get hung up on in right Leviticus is we get hung up on like, I think incorrectly, sorry, my dog is lining. Come on, Scott. No problem. My buddy. Where are you? (laughs) Um, we get hung up right on like, well, and I think rightly so we get hung up on the passages that talk about that we perceive as oppressing people and we should get hung up on those and we should challenge those, but that's a conversation for another point. Um, But what we see consistently throughout the old Testament, we see it through the Pentateuch. We see it through all parts of the prophets. We see it through the writings that God is deeply concerned with justice for persons who are oppressed. Yep. So you see throughout Leviticus over and over and over again, God makes provisions for people who are rejected by the rest of the world. Right. The aliens, the immigrant, the widow, the orphan, yep. um, which is not supposed to be an exhaustive list, right. but is supposed to represent the most oppressed people in right. that time. Right. And so the question for us is, who are the immigrant, alien, widow, and orphan of our time? Exactly. Um, but, and we see through... Um, through the writings, right? Through the history of the Kings of Israel, that God is constantly like y'all are screwing up because you are not upholding the rights yeah. of the immigrant orphan and widow. Right. And then we get to the prophets and every single time it is about oppression. It is about um, abusive systems of capitalism, right? It's about totally. abusive economies. It's about enslaving people and God challenging that. And, um, and in the instance of going to war against Pharaoh, that's straight up an ancient text of Yahweh going to war against another God and saying, you have committed oppression. So I am going to show you what genuine oppression and genuine freedom look like. Mm. Um, And so then we see Jesus as much as we might want to write justice out of Jesus. Guess what? Evangelicals. You can't Mm. because Jesus is a Jew. 
Jesus right. is right. Jewish. He is bathed in those texts. Yes, he knows his tradition. Importance. Yes, he quotes them all the time and most frequently quotes the Psalms, which mm. are all about celebrating God's justice. Mm. So even so in both the Old Testament and Hebrew and in the New Testament and Greek, even the word that we translate as righteousness in English means justice making. Mm. It doesn't have anything to do with just being pious. It doesn't have anything to do with showing up to church on time. It doesn't have right. anything to do with any of those markers of modern evangelical holiness yeah. um, that are mismarkers, right? Yes. It's about, it's righteousness is the one who enacts God's restoring justice. And throughout the Old Testament, even when we see God destroying things, destroying mm -hmm. cities, destroying people, we always see that God is working towards a restorative option. Yeah. So we see, um, like with, I think of the prophet Jonah. Yeah. Um, at the beginning, God says, doesn't matter. That doesn't say, tell them to repent and I won't destroy them. God just says, go let them know it's going to happen. And then the entire city changes to repentance and justice making. Mm. And God's like, yeah, we're not going to destroy them. It's great. Right. Right. And the religious person in the text, Jonah right. is pissed off by this. Yeah. He's just like, completely he says i knew you were going to be abounding in justice and forgiveness and compassion <laughs> all those things are connected in the character of israel's god and so in jesus who is the incarnation of this yahweh right and then paul even says he is the righteousness of god yeah jesus is god's justice is yeah. what that says yeah. that jesus becomes god's justice for us and so what does god's justice look like looks like jesus mm. healing the sick welcoming the outsider Right. touching people that you're not supposed to touch, breaking holiness codes to welcome people to the center. And then God even rejecting the narrative of restorative violence. Yep. God rejecting yep. all of those things and dying yeah. upon a human institution of oppression from an oppressive regime. Yeah. He's literally executed by the state. Yeah. That's God's definition of justice. And then being raised to say you didn't win. Right. And if that's what God's justice looks like, yeah. And what we see even in um, Jesus's healing, in the narratives of the Gospel of Jesus's healing accounts, every single one of them addresses a systemically oppressed person. Hmm. He heals a bleeding woman. She's a woman. She's constantly menstruating, and in that society, she can't even touch her own spouse. Right. She can't touch her kids. She can't cook for them. She can't even be in the house. If she is, she has to sit on a different chair. Right. Right. We see Jesus talking to the Samaritan woman. It's not a healing um, in the traditional sense, but it is a restoration of her to her community. Yeah. We see Jesus raising the dead. We see Jesus healing and healing the sick servant of Jairus. Over and over again. Jesus goes out to those who are systemically and overtly oppressed by those around them hmm. and then calls and is most critical of those who do the impressing. Hmm. So he calls yeah. to account the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the priests, everyone in Israel who held power. He calls them to account over and over and over again for the ways that they have not upheld God's justice as represented in the, in the holy texts of Israel. So for Christians to yeah. say, Right, systemic justice, which we might call social justice, that's the more common term for it, is not a part of the gospel, is nonsense. It's actually heresy because it really its roots go back to Gnosticism, yes. which the church decided a long time ago 
has no place in the church. Right. Um, so Gnosticism, right, is the heresy of saying what we do with our bodies doesn't matter. Right. That there is a definite separation of spiritual and physical, and the physical realm can just go to hell. Right. And your spirit is untouched by that. That's right. That's 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 a heresy, mm. and it's sin when it is taking root in our lives. And as you just pointed out, that's exactly what the argument for electing Donald Trump by the evangelical right was. It doesn't matter what he does with his body. It doesn't matter what he does with our country. Wow, because good. those are physical manifestations. Those are physical things. They'll be burned away. doesn't matter. Right. We trust Jesus. Right. And we go on and vote for the Republican. Right. Candidate. Yeah. And all those things are tied together. We can't pretend they're not. No, I mean, wow, that that bit, so much, so good, so much <laughs> to, uh, to even unpack. Um, Man. You know, I, I, I don't, I have a hard time understanding like, like why this big push against things that are obviously unjust. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I tell people like fallen people make fallen systems. Like why wouldn't we expect systems to be right. like not perfect because we're people do bad things. Like we, we all know this mm-hmm. and it seems like no matter how much we look back at history to kind of show the receipts, I'm thinking uh, right now of like systemic, uh, you know, racial injustice. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would also say now more and more for me, economic injustice as well. Yeah. You know, we, we can look back and see all these these times of how mm-hmm. many Christians were on the wrong side of that conversation. And it seems like now today, Christians have this perspective of like, oh, well, that was then. Like we fixed that problem. And mm-hmm. I'm just not that convinced, uh, especially right. over the past like couple of years, seeing the George Floyd response <laughs> by a lot of Christians, seeing the response to Black Lives Matter, you know, and I'm, I'm not extremely well read, but what I have read about like even American history it's the same rhetoric being recycled. You know, the communism mm-hmm. boogeyman, the Marxist boogeyman. Like, it's it's the same idea. They try to do mm-hmm. that with, with Martin Luther. They they try to, to uh, discredit him, calling him a communist. And so it's like, I, I just wonder, mm-hmm. like, what do we do about that? You know, because it seems like it's a very widespread right. issue. <clears throat> so a helpful book that's very accessible for yeah. persons regardless of, like, educational background. Yeah. It's called Jesus and John Wayne. Oh, great book. Um, Great book. And I think what was really transformative about that book for me is I've read widely about, right, like white supremacy as colonialism, right, as a not and as sexism as a not, right, and heteronormativity as a not and economic exploitation as a not. But it's actually all one not. Mm. It's all one not, not these separate issues within Christianity, within the world. It's all one. And what it really comes back to, again, is a part, part of it's Gnosticism. Yep. Um, but yep. part of it is also, and that's why one of the reasons I love the Wesleyan tradition, um, is because it challenges this idea where we think being saved yeah. means Jesus died for me. Yeah. So I don't have any real genuine responsibility in the world yep. outside of, I've said I'm sorry to Jesus. Right. That's about it. And maybe like, I'll apologize. It, it's like a mental ascension. Like, like if, if I, if I yes. mentally assent to this point, I'm safe. And I'm good. Yeah. Right. And instead, right, a Wesleyan, um, the technical term for it would be soteriology, which just means yeah. a mm-hmm. study of our salvation yep. um, for folks that might, might not know that. Yeah. But a Wesleyan soteriology talks about this idea of responsible grace. Yes, mm. grace is a free gift of God. We do not earn grace. We cannot earn grace. We cannot deserve it. And precisely because it is free, 
God has invited us to participate in the yeah. kingdom building that yeah. Jesus inaugurated. Um, Jürgen Moltmann, if anyone wants some more reading, um, that one's a little bit more meaty. Um, but the crucified God um, and all of his main works with that are just incredible. I think um, about uh, about how Matthew Bates yeah. uses the words allegiance. Mm -hmm. You know, like how faith yeah. is is allegiance to a king. It's not just yes. about like this. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I I can't see it, so I trust it. I mean, there's definitely an element of right. that, right? We're trusting in mm -hmm. resurrection that we we weren't there for. But it's right. more about like my allegiance is to this King Jesus yes. that rules through subversion, not through power. And yes. then, like, how do we be a part of it that yes. way? Yes. Yeah. And thinking about it even, right, that it is embodied by yes. nature. Right. Jesus be is God incarnate. Yeah, yeah. right. The salvation of humanity must also be enfleshed, incarnate, must mm. be lived out. Yeah. Um, and if we try to separate those things, right, that Jesus is kingdom is just this pie in the sky that we get no matter what. Yeah, totally. Um, then what we end up with is a spirituality that has nothing that doesn't want to do anything with social justice. Right. And I think that's part of it too, is if we think that if we participate in social justice, then Jesus won't come back as soon. You're right. And if, and if we just let the world burn down and watch other black men be murdered in the streets and other black trans women be murdered in the streets with no repercussions, uh, then you know what? If we just let those things happen, one, they probably deserved them. And two, yep. then Jesus will come back sooner. And that is so, that's not, that has nothing to do with the gospel of Jesus. There's a term I'm blanking on. I read an article about this train of thought that really sprung up in like, I think like, like the 1800s or, you know, it was mm -hmm. this idea of like, well, if things get real bad, God has to come mm -hmm. back. And it, yeah. it kind of, it kind of has, you know, like you said earlier, this stuff is really one big knot. So, I've heard both mm -hmm. like, oh, we have to pray and, and and act good for God to come back. And I've heard, oh, let it all burn till God comes back, right? Yeah. So I've seen both of those perspectives in the same mm -hmm. knot. But there's, yeah. I, I'm blanking on the term now, but yes, I know exactly what you're talking about. It is this belief of like, well, the worst thing is get, the closer we are. And it's like, yeah. I don't think that is what we're supposed to be doing. Like wanting the yeah. end of all things, you know? Right. I really think the focus. Yeah, like, and that just really ties into like dispensationalism, like totally. the rapture and belief and yeah. everything there, right? Um, which is that's a whole different conversation too. But yeah, it is. But I mean, Ugh. so yeah. So here, I figured we mm -hmm. could play a little game, right? I figured I can okay, give you some so, some of these lines I've heard from Christians mm -hmm. who are I'm going to say they're well intentioned. I'm going to assume positive intent, um, and just kind of get your response to it. Mm -hmm. All right, and just be like, okay, like okay. what do you think? So, like for example, mm -hmm. here's the first one. All right. Um, social justice isn't biblical justice, Tim. So, Megan, what do you say to someone who, who says that? And by the way, that's, a, as you know, a very widely yeah. used um, little, little zinger over there. Um, I would say, read your Bible. Hmm. Like, and that sounds so trite, but I would say that I think they've confused biblical justice with, um, with like, um, judicial law and justice. Yes. Um, because what they're really meaning is yep. by biblical justice is typically the bad person gets punished and that's, that's right. judicial justice, uh, justice in our particular judicial system. That's right. Biblical punitive. justice. Yeah. Yeah. It's very punitive. 
Um, which again comes back to how do we understand what Jesus did on the cross? If Jesus is taking a punch from God for me, then right. sure, punish whoever you want, God. Right. Um, as long as it isn't me. Right. Um, We're safe. Yeah, I'm safe. Jesus took my punch. I'm good, but you need to figure it out. Right. Right. Exactly. Um, so yeah, I think I would just say like, like read your Bible, <laughs> and every time it says the word righteousness, cross it out and write justice. And then come back and tell me what the Bible says about justice. Yeah. Even long weekends are short. So why spend a second of this one on a drink run? Instead, get drinks delivered right to your door with Drizzly. Drizzly is the easiest way to find the best prices on beer, wine, and spirits. So you can get back to lighting those totally legal fireworks. Download the app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com today. Because the long weekend will be over before this ad is. Must be 21 plus. Not available in all locations. No, I I, I had this, um, I put like a challenge out on my Instagram account, you know, a little while ago. And I mm-hmm. said, if someone can explain to me what this means, like I would love to know. Because I hear it all the time, never hear it defined. Right. And they, a couple of people were like, hey, check out Ali B. Stuckey's um, podcast. And, you know, Ali Stuckey, conservative commentator. And uh, I checked out the episode. In fact, I even talked to Allie. Like, she gave me the episode to check out. And I watched the whole thing, and I did a response video to it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, in, in in real time, it's not out yet, but by the time this comes out, it probably will be out by then. And, you know, and I listened to her whole 45-minute monologue and honestly, like, was not very impressed in the sense of calling it biblical justice. Like, what she was really calling biblical was really, like, judicial and also very conservative <laughs> with mm-hmm. a couple Bible verses, like picked out of context and sprinkled right. around to call it biblical. Right. Because we both know, like, you know, I, I could pick up like the laws about uh, about debt being erased every seven years, right? And be like, look, right. it's biblical justice. Every right. seven years, debt should be erased mm-hmm. in America. It's biblical. Mm-hmm. So I do find that some of these arguments, it's not even, they're, they're not actually, I would say, contextually scriptural. They are mm-hmm. simply picked out to 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 bolster the conservative viewpoint and then called mm-hmm. biblical. So really, it's a hijacking of terms. Yeah. Right. So uh, to that point, Pew did research. Oh, it was even maybe it was right around the 2016 election. Might have been okay. just before. Um, but they did research and they actually discovered that people pick their churches based on their political affiliations and not on their theological beliefs. Um, so what we have, right, is people aligning themselves with certain ideas about scripture, certain yeah. ideas about theology, certain ideas about God that already line up with what they already think politically. Totally. And like that has nothing to do with what they believe about God or what they think they should believe about God or how they've experienced God. They're saying, oh, that church sounds Republican. That church sounds Democrat. That mm-hmm. church sounds this. That church sounds that. And that's how they're picking. Um, and... I think so much of that, right, has to do with like the religious right, which goes back all the way to the origins of this country, right? Um, In which we have, like, we still have people trying to, trying to paint Thomas Jefferson as this deific (laughs) Christian person. He literally kept a 14-year-old locked in his basement. And also mocked the resurrection of Jesus. Like he was not. Mocked the resurrection of Jesus. He took scissors to his Bible. Let's just leave it alone. He's not that good of a person. Like even if you like his politics, then just say, I like his politics. He's kind of a creep. Right. Um, And he owned how many people? Let's just stop there. Right. Um, 
but I think part of the problem is that we have spent so many evangelicals have for so long been bathed in this idea of religious right. Totally. They've been bathed in this idea and they have been told over and over and over again that to not believe what they're being told means they're going to hell. Yes. And so for them, the stakes can't be any higher. You're right. You're right. And so they traded in like, right. They traded in the ability to challenge that because they know what happens when you challenge that. Like, look at all of us like who have had to leave institutions. Look at all of us who have left churches. Look at all of us who are, blasted online and treated like heretics and right goodness gracious right yeah they've seen what happens and really at the very heart of if we listen to those narratives about like biblical justice isn't social justice at the root of it is the fear that we are doing the wrong thing right right the church is out of its lane right if the church doesn't have a lane in the affairs of society right then what are we doing right or I would even say, like, a healthy role in society. I mean, like, I think yes. the church is involved in society in, like, exactly. some of the worst ways possible, right? Absolutely. Um, you know, the moral majority birthed this political movement that really is fighting mm-hmm. for less freedom for most people and a lot mm-hmm. more freedom for Christians, essentially. Yeah. Mass mm-hmm. under the language of religious freedom, anti-tyranny, um, mm-hmm. you know, freedom, whatever else. In fact, you know, it's funny. I interviewed a guy named Samuel Duth on my podcast a few weeks okay. ago. He's a big anti-mask pastor. He has Candace Owens speaks at his church, that kind of thing. And he made a comment. He was like, you know, he's, he, he was like, you know, we, we stand for freedom. And I said, well, for who? Like for yeah, who? Exactly. And I told him, I said, would you say that that telling LGBTQ people they can't get married in a country that isn't a Christian, you know, it, it, it's a, a democracy or a, a, a republic, uh, isn't that like an, a violation of their freedom? And his response really wasn't that great, you know, because it's like, mm-hmm. of course it is. Of course, just because you don't agree with right. it doesn't mean that 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 they should have a right to do it. And so mm-hmm. I do find that interesting because I'm with you. It's like, and I I would love your thoughts on this. I get stuck yeah. on this idea of like. Mm-hmm. I believe that Christians should be active in their society mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. maybe even in politics. But what I've been right. seen or, or what what I've been shown, right, is all is the worst way to do that. So now I'm skittish. Right. Now I'm like, well, maybe right. Christians shouldn't be involved in politics because we really right. screw it all up, you know? Right. <laughs> like, so yeah. what do you think? Like, like how would a Christian yeah. with like that mo- me- mentality of like kingdom participants? How would we get involved in politics that benefit all of humanity, not just mm-hmm. me? Mm-hmm. Um, so there's actually a long history of this that um, it's kind of interesting. Uh, cool. So the social gospel movement mm. um, kicked off in the United States um, late 1800s into like the 1920s um, and on from there. But that was kind of like the, I would guess I would say like the, the hotbed of it. And the social gospel movement um, started all kinds of things like Catholic uh, workers, charities, um, all like the Red Cross, like all of these organizations that we're familiar with um, are kind of birthed out of this movement of Christians saying the gospel has something to say about society and has something to say with how we participate in it, Um, which is exactly what the Wesley brothers um, were arguing as well, along with other um, simultaneous movements around the world. Um, but so the social gospel movement was a part of this, um, Reinhold Niebuhr is a huge part of that movement. Um, Bonhoeffer saw Mm. some segments of it when he was in the States, um, famously said the only time he ever saw a real church in the United States was in Harlem, 
mm. um, during his visits. Um, and I think that's also a really interesting aside with that is that oppressed people, particularly people of color in this country, um, but oppressed people who receive the gospel of Jesus have always been huge proponents of the church participating in society in a kingdom way. Yeah. Um, that I think is really significant um, yeah. because it is when white patriarchal heteronormative upper middle class persons center themselves with the gospel instead of centering a brown oppressed middle eastern man in a empire that literally slaughtered him yeah when we center when we white people center ourselves in the narrative of the gospel what we end up with is participation in society that reflects what we want yeah that's right. And my allegiance to my race, my allegiance to my capitalistic enterprises right. supersedes my allegiance to the gospel. Right. Um, my so property, I put more faith, et right. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so I defend my rights by standing at the end of my property with a gun when I see Black Lives Matter protesters walking by. And right. then I demanded the government protect me from any kind of persecution for that, right? right. Or prosecution from that. Right. Um, and right, I think man. that. Like, and that's the key of the social gospel is the social gospel centered the poor and said, Jesus told us to center the poor. Like that's literally what he told us to do over and over yeah. and over again is the blessed are the poor. Right. So they said, okay, then we're gonna take that seriously. And so the social gospel movement centered that, um, and that birthed great movements of the church. And I think sometimes it's really easy for those of us who grew up in evangelical traditions to not know about those things and to not know about the times that the church has done actually really faithful, good work. Yeah. Um, because we are overwhelmed by the news coming out of Canada, right? Like today they just totally. found another totally. um, over 700 unmarked graves of indigenous children that the Catholic church um, just was using to erase their culture. Yeah. Um, right. That we, and we should... I don't want to be misunderstood. We need to lament and we need to do right. And we do that when we center those voices yep. instead of our own. Yeah. Um, and I think that is the key to the church and followers of Jesus participating in politics, participating in society in ways that actually reflect the kingdom is to not assume, well, I'm a Christian, so I have the handle on God. Even if those persons aren't Christians, the, this is another key confession of the Wesleyan movement to say God's provenient grace is there with them. God's grace that goes before saving is with them. Yeah. And God is at work in their lives, whether or not they're aware of it. It, it really seems like, um, and I'm sure you thought about, about this too. The more I, I mm -hmm. the more I, I leave my white evangelical heritage behind. Right. And I'm just trying to be faithful to this Jesus mm -hmm. person, <laughs> trying to figure that mm -hmm. out. The more I'm like, Wow. I grew up in a pretty self-centered system, mm -hmm. right? That 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 really centered me as the hero. Mm -hmm. That centered, yes. you know, my material possessions, my rights, mm -hmm. and also the Constitution as like central mm -hmm. to being Christian. And anything that that centered around voices that were oppressed or that were you know, whatever, uh, discriminated against, that was seen as like not good. But you're mm -hmm. so right. Like it doesn't take a scholar to read the Beatitudes and be like, 
oh, maybe I'm not yeah. at the center of anything that Jesus says, right? I mean, right. blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the meek, blessed are the peacemakers, right? Not blessed are yeah. the property owners <laughs> yeah. or blessed are the capitalists, Seriously. right? And mm-hmm. it, it's, it's interesting. I'm thinking about the book um, One Nation Under God by, by uh, Kevin Cruz. He really, okay. he really, he really documents how mm-hmm. capitalism and mm-hmm. uh, like a, a national sense of piety of like, oh, faith in the public square, how they really mm-hmm. merged, you know, like these big yeah. capitalists kind of got in bed with right. like that, that national, that Christian movement. And that's how we have like uh, one nation under God in, in the Pledge of Allegiance. That's how we have this idea of mm-hmm. a good Christian stands up for their faith as if the God of right. the universe needs protecting. That's crazy, you know? And so right. it is interesting like to see when you're in it, you don't see it. That's just normal, yeah. right? Like that's just what that's what it means. But as mm-hmm. you start to kind of leave that matrix, so to speak, right? You're like, wait, that is completely this is insane. It's insane. It's yeah. antithetical to mm-hmm. I mean, a healthy biblical interpretation. It's antith- it's antithetical to a Jesus movement. It's also antithetical as well to even Orthodox Christianity in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. You know, like yeah. it, it is. So how do you right. think I mean it's like, what do we do? <laughs> I mean, that, that's right. That, that, that's like my next question, right? Is, okay, I'm in this thing. Actually, wait, hold on. Right. Let, let, let me stop you. Go. I have one more I, I want to do, one more little line. Okay. I, I forgot yes. we're, we're still playing a game. We're a little off track here. That's my got. I, I have like one or two more. So <laughs> yes. another uh, th- one I hear a lot um, is we are a country founded on Judeo-Christian principles. <sighs> and again, the more I read American history, the more I'm like, that is cool. Clearly not true, but go ahead and give it to us straight. That one kind of. <laughs> Sorry, I had a visceral, I sh- I had a visceral gave, response. That should have gave you a trigger warning for that. <laughs> yeah, seriously, come on. Um, I mean, I guess okay. So, full disclaimer, right? I'm an ordained pastor, right? So I have yeah. simultaneously, like, as a pastor, what would I say to one of my like? parishioners who came to me and said this right and then like what would i say to like my rando cousin on facebook right yes right totally so i have those two views in mind so i'll kind of try to say them both really succinctly sure from like a pastoral perspective right i would say like i know that's a narrative that we've heard of for a really long time um but actually if we look at the founding fathers the vast majority of them were not christians they were not jewish they were not christians they were deists and in fact were trying to remove themselves from Judeo-Christian values. Hence why we have the three-fifths compromise and only counting Black people as three-fifths of a person in the American Constitution. Hence why in the American Constitution, originally, women were completely excluded as well. And hence why in the American Constitution, we were literally colonizing people's land who already lived here. Right, right. Right. Um, All of that was not founded in Judeo-Christian values. That was founded in capitalism. Right. And sometimes, yes, capitalism can be leveraged for Christian norms. But in this case, it wasn't. It Mm. was just about making money for the empires of Europe. Right. 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 Um, So I I would say that. Right. That even look at the character of some of these persons. And that's not to say that persons who aren't Christian can't reflect Judeo-Christian values. But as we read their journals, as we learn about them, most of them didn't. Right. And the ones that were Christian Yes, they also sinned. And guess what? The Constitution of the United States isn't a part of the canon of the Christian faith. Right. Absolutely. It's not in the Bible. Right. Um, it is no more inspired than any other nation's constitution. 
So we could just as easily say, right, the constitution of like Sweden, a democratic socialist nation is just as inspired as ours. Right. Um, so I think that would be really important to note. Um, of course, if I was just blasting somebody on Facebook or making it, <laughs> it would probably be like, Jesus, <laughs> Jesus literally said, you can't love both like God and money. And if we look at the history of our country and honestly look at it, our country isn't serving God. It's serving money and making itself money. And it's serving the military industrial complex. Uh, That's not the gospel of Jesus. You're triggering me now because I'm thinking about all these Facebook conversations I have with people. Because I'll I'll, I'll share something, you know, like, uh, like you know, tax the rich or something, something like that. People are like, well, eat Tim, the rich. Like, yeah. Or whatever. Yeah. Eat the rich. People are like, well, Tim, like they earned their money, you know, like, well, Tim, you, you're, you know, envy's a sin, Tim. Or, you know, my, 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 my personal favorite is when people are like, well, how much should, should you be taxed? I'm like, well, if Jeff Bezos is worth like, you know, a, a hundred thousand lifetimes of income for the average American and pays zero in taxes, it's probably not enough. Can we at least agree on that? And it's, and these are Christians. These are people yeah. who will, who, these are people who, who will read Paul mm-hmm. where it says, that you know, neither the uh, the drunkard, the idolater, the greedy, the homosexual will enter the kingdom of heaven, right? And they'll oh. be like, oh, 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 there it is. But the greedy, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, what what is greed? You know? Yeah. I Go will ahead. also say that's a mistranslation. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You're, you're, to- you're right. You're okay. right. Paul doesn't I'm, say homosexual. You're right. You're totally yeah. right. I'm using just like the stereotype, but you're yeah. completely correct. Yeah. That's fine. Yeah. But you know, people who who, who will yeah. who will use that verse to justify why they're anti those things, anti you know, or homophobic, will also see yeah. that word greed and be like, well, we have to define it. Like, what's the cultural context? What is greed really? Like, all of a sudden, all these qualifiers yeah. come into play, mm-hmm. and it, it really cracks me up because, like you said. Mm-hmm. I mean, we serve money in America. You know, I exist yeah. for a corporation to make to make them money, and I get a couple pennies to pretty much just survive in the world's richest country. It makes no sense. Yeah, and I well, I think right, but like to pull back what you said earlier, right? Like if you read some of Marx now, you're like, oh, that makes sense, right? I know. That like it that's does. exactly what like I heard this thing long, long ago, so I have no idea where it comes from. Sure. Right, but that essentially. Democrats vote out of fear that they could become poor and Republicans vote out of hope that they could become rich. Mm. Um, And let's not pretend the democratic party is faultless because they are not. Amen to Um, that. There's no allegiance here. (laughs) No, but just kind of thinking through even like, right. Like thinking about tax codes and typically how political poly, how parties vote along those lines with tax codes. Right. That like, and Karl Marx basically talks about the idea, right. That like these corporations, they convince you, um, they convince the poor that they could one day pull out of it. And yet right. at the same time, these corporations are the ones driving all of the factors that systemically create poverty that is impossible to escape without assistance. hundred percent, hundred percent. And then we have simultaneously, right. Um, so many Christian, so many evangelical Christians want to make the comment, right? That like, well, I don't think the government should do it. The church should. Right. right. Well, I think Jeff Bezos, who has enough money to completely reverse climate change, to alleviate hunger globally and still be pretty well off. Right. Tax him. Right. Tax him. He could still be so comfortable. I'm not saying move him under the overpass. Right. I'm saying use his funds to make the overpass just an overpass and not a house. Exactly. Right. Right. Um, 
that he is making money in exploitative ways off of so many people that work for him who cannot afford to buy a house, cannot, cannot afford to do like have any major medical emergency, right? That like, I think it's something like, I think it's something like 80% of Americans are one medical emergency away from complete financial like collapse. Yeah. And that's not like, um, you know, that's not like, oh, I had to go through specialized treatment for this incredibly rare disease. That's like, I broke my arm in two places while playing rug, like playing in the park. Yeah. And also at the same time, like I lost my job because I couldn't work and because I needed surgery and reconstructive yeah. surgery and I can't type and that, right? Like it's like one thing. Yep. 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 Like that's how messed up our system is. And so, yeah. but right. That's part of the lie of American culture. Yeah. Um, and lots yeah. of black authors remind us of this. Um, a lot of black liberation theologians remind us of this, like James Cone. Um, but many others remind us of the, the, one of the myths of American culture is meritocracy, right? We continue saying that we earn what we have. Right. I didn't earn it. I, I was born to a middle-class family by all accounts. I will probably die middle-class. Yeah. Right. Right. Barring any, like barring me winning the lottery, which right. will actually probably result in me going bankrupt. Right. Barring me, right, like marrying a multimillionaire, which I did not. I married a seminary student. So right. hashtag right. winning. Um, <laughs> right. Like. Right. That that like. But that's part of that's part of the myth of American culture. And that's Definitely. how the system keeps keeps that's how the wheel keeps turning and crushing people is that we keep telling people like it's earned and you can earn it and right. you can earn it. And if you they, just and work you hard can't. enough. It's like, listen, yeah. Jeff Bezos can't mm-hmm. work hard enough to create his wealth. He has to have other people work for him. That's how that works. You know, mm-hmm. like you have the same hours in a day, right? Let's say Jeff Bezos was a crazy hard worker and worked a hundred hours a week, which would be insane for any human being, yeah. right? That's still only slightly it. over two times the mm-hmm. work ethic of the average American who works full time, right? And you're telling me right. that he's somehow worth that many more, not like, we're not talking about, we're not talking about someone's richer than someone else. We're talking about such wealth gaps that they are actually affecting entire economies, right? Like Amazon's Mm -hmm. GDP, Apple's GDP, they're like top 10 countries. That's how big these transnational uh, companies are and they profit billions a quarter. And they don't pay taxes. And then when we say that we're Marxist and not Christian, it's like, wait, Mm -hmm. what? Corporations aren't even people. Like they're not even made in the image of God. They're just, they're just, they're, they're fallen systems. Why the heck can't we critique and say, maybe we should be taxing them. And again, Mm -hmm. not to bankrupt them. They'll have plenty Mm -hmm. of money left over. So much money left over. Right. But if you're going (laughs) to oppress the middle class, we better get something for it. You know what I mean? Like, it's just it's crazy talk. So it really it does truly blow my mind that I'll say things like that and people are like, "Oh, you're a socialist." It's like, "What? What are what are we talking? Right. Are you crazy?" Right. But to your point, right? Like socialism. We don't even know what socialism means, uh, right? Like you drive on a freeway. Socialism. Right. Right. We have like, police. You're welcome. <laughs> right. You have police and firefighters, and you have like libraries, and you have schools. Right. Socialism. Right. 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 But that is a boogeyman. But it was like like these boogeymen were intentionally chosen mm. right like the boogeyman of abortion the boogeyman of like the lgbtq community and aids all of those were intentionally chosen to be boogeymen for the average evangelical by these evangelicals who make more money than god 
right? Right, right. Like right. the Jerry Falwells yep. and these groups pick these things. Scott, be quiet. <laughs> this is my dog. Hi, dog. He's a mess. It's all right. Um, these things were chosen on purpose. Yeah. Because they elicit fear because we don't under we don't understand them. Yeah. We don't understand Marxism. And I'm not saying Marxism as a system is the best system. Totally. But like tax the rich. Like right. that's not that hard. Feed the poor. Well, that's Jesus. Right. I feel, you know, I feel, I feel like because we were in this binary in America where you're either exactly. like your allegiance is your allegiance has to be all in or all out. You can't have nuance, right? So you, you what, what we right. can't say is, you know, Marx had some good points. I'm not because that would get translated as, oh, you must be an allegiance, you know, allegiant Marxist who just wants to make the world Marxist. It's like, no, I'm just saying, like, hey, there's some meat there. Exactly. We should ponder that, right? Capitalism yeah. might have some points that we should like take from. Like, yeah, that mm-hmm. that's a great point. But this like yeah. bowing down to the altar of capitalism. I mean, the way evangelicals talk about it, you would think it's in like Genesis one one. You know, like God created the heavens yep. and earth and capitalism. It's like, no, th- these categories mm-hmm. don't exist in the Bible. Yeah. they, Yeah. And, oh, and yeah, I think it just, right. Like, like we said, that like all of these, these are in one knot, right. Yes. This is a system of idolatry. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, and so what we've done is we've said that God reflects what we value. And so God is a white man. God is a patriarchal slave owner. God is a heteronormative cisgender straight dude. Right. Right. Who thinks capitalism is the best. And maybe he looks like Jeff Bezos. With an AK-47. With a bunch of AK-47s or whatever other kinds of guns God wants to have. Because that's how God will win. Is by being more violent. That's right. And I think because we, right, we traded in, like, let's just be honest. The calling of Jesus is really freaking hard. Yep. I don't really want to sell my possessions and right. give them to the poor. Right. I'll be honest. Area of growth for me. Hashtag. <laughs> um, right. But that like the calling of Jesus is so radical, but we tried to make it so appealing to the wrong people that we sold it out. Yeah. And we exchanged, right. We exchanged this great treasure yeah. for the dirt on which it was buried right yeah yeah. and we think that that like and evangelicals think that they've won something Mm. but that's but that's the constant struggle of the christian church i mean it was co-opted by the roman empire under constantine yeah and for like ages the church the church like has talked about that as this good thing and it wasn't right um it was actually really bad for the church and made the church a colonial oppressive regime yeah. Instead of a movement of people saying, hey, this Jesus called us to peacemaking. This Jesus guy called us to like lay down our arms. This yeah. Jesus guy called us to like center the poor and the oppressed. This Jesus guy called us to reject Roman ideals of patriarchy. Yeah. It's like all of those things that the Jesus story called us to we rejected in favor of money and status. And I think, I mean, just like as a confession, right. That like, it's just as easy for those of us who have deconstructed and come on the other side of it and still claim Jesus to be like, well, now that I'm woke, I have this other status, you know what I mean? Right. And so like, 
And that's not to say that we shouldn't strive to be more woke and that we shouldn't strive for those things. Um, but I think what's really difficult for me is to cultivate compassion for the persons who are still stuck in those systems. Totally. Because just as much as when I was in that system and all of this stuff was like, ah, communism, you right. crazy people, right? right like right. that's, and it's because they've been made to be afraid. Yeah. Um, and like clergy have as much to answer for in, in that reckoning as any yeah. lay person does, because like so many, so many pastors abused that and probably believed that and so proliferated it but also many of them saw it as a golden opportunity like yeah i don't know jerry falwell i hope he loves jesus very dearly but man he figured out a really good system right you know what i mean right um and even like billy graham participated in that system yeah love to kind of dfi too right? right that we have to begin to be honest and and at the same time, find that compassion for persons who do trigger us, who do trigger that religious trauma. Yep. And like, that's really hard. I'm not an expert at that. Yeah. You know? it's but I really, think at the end of the day, that's how yeah. we move forward, right? Is that the Jesus narrative still calls us to the kingdom work, even among the people that have pissed us off and yeah. pissed all over the gospel. Right. I mean, like, that is loving our enemy, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it is really hard. It's hard not to dehumanize people. It's hard not to be yeah. bitter. Um, and I think it's a fine line between a righteous anger of like overturning temple, Absolutely. right? Um, temple tables and money changers uh, tables and then dehumanizing them and wanting mm -hmm. them just to be torn down, right? Because they're still made in mm -hmm. God's image. It's just frustrating yeah. to see when people claiming to represent God misrepresent him, take his name in vain, so to speak. Like, Tell me so, about it. So, you know, um, you know egregiously, mm -hmm. is that the right word for it? Gregoriously, something like that. You know, egregious. Gregariously? No, that's not the right word. I do this all the time. My wife makes fun of me, or I'll just like say a word. I'm like, that's not the right word. But it's like a very big yeah. deal. You know, it's very, it's very, yeah. it's very widespread yeah. and it's very severe. Yeah, um, absolutely. How they do this, thinking mm -hmm. that they're actually representing God well. Mm -hmm. It's like what, yeah. what? But I agree yeah. with you and, on that. And and to your point, we have to continue to speak prophetically, right? Yeah. Forgiving them and loving them isn't being like, well, I guess they just don't know any better. Right. Like, right. You know, um, it is speaking out prophetically and saying like, no, that is not Jesus. Yeah. I have the word. Oh. Egregious. Okay. Ah, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, egregious? That's not right. Egregiously. That's what I was thinking of. You ever have that thing where like you only have read a word and then you say it out loud and everybody's like, what are you talking oh, about? Oh, totally. That's why half the words I say are like super just like low level, like third grade level because I'm too afraid to say the words I've actually read because I, I have no clue how to pronounce half of them. <laughs> Type it into Google and Google will pronounce it for you. That's a great this is my hack. new skill. This is my new skill. I mean, I used to look at the word Protestant and be like, protestant? Like, hmm, I don't think that's Well, correct, that's you know? really where it comes from, so that works. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, Megan, we have a few more minutes. Last question for you. Back to what I was asking before we got sidetracked. Like, oh, yeah. what 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 do we do going forward? Right. I mean, yeah. I I run this account. That's how yeah. you found me. It's how I know you. You know, people are deconstructing. They're trying to cling to Jesus. Mm -hmm. They want to be better Jesus people. They want to understand the mm -hmm. Bible better. They want to have a rich spiritual mm -hmm. life that is not Gnostic. Right. It is. It mm -hmm. is inner. It is interwoven yeah. with like the the humanness, the body. And it's yeah. like, 
what do we do? A lot of us have either gotten kicked out of our churches or have left our churches. We feel like it's not a safe mm-hmm. space anymore. And mm-hmm. it's just like, wow, it can be very overwhelming. How yeah. do we move forward from your vantage point? I mean, if I had like a single answer, I would yeah. also be a millionaire. Um, <laughs> but I think it's so multi-pronged. Um mm. Because just as justice can't just be individual, but must also be corporate, so must spirituality, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and what I would say to that is we're like, I've gone through some pretty brutal deconstruction um, where like I literally laid on my bed one night and was like, I just got a $120,000 degree and I don't believe in any of this, anymore, yeah, you know? Yeah. And like, and like, have gone through reconstruction and in some ways, I guess I'll probably spend my entire life deconstructing and reconstructing. And I'm okay right. with that. Right. And I know not everyone is, but I am at yeah. this point in my life. Yeah. But what I would say is right. Jesus said, you can't put new wine in old wine skins. Um, not all of us can stay in the environments in that traumatized us. Not all of us, and I would say most of us shouldn't stay in the environments that traumatize us. Not all of us can stay in church circles or denominations that do not reflect the Jesus that we are trying to follow. But there are a lot of really faithful traditions and non-denominational churches and out there. And if even church is itchy for you, find a community of people that you trust and be like a Wesleyan band together. How is it with your soul? Um, because we desperately, because the image of God is not about me as an individual. The image of God is reflecting a triune community of yeah. three persons, right? So we are made in the image of community. We need it um, <clears throat> both for our healing and yeah. our ongoing encounters with issues yeah. of justice and injustice because I need to constantly be challenged in my whiteness. I need to constantly be challenged in that. And yeah. I, as a woman need to constantly challenge patriarchal norms with my symbol, like just by being in a space, right? right? That we need to do those things. Yeah. And I also need to have someone who reminds me, yes. And, hmm. and how is it with your soul? How are you taking care of yourself? How are you receiving the means of God's grace? Yeah. Um, and we all need that. So I would say, first of all, community is so important. Even yeah. if that's a community online, literally COVID taught us nothing else other than like, if yeah. it taught us nothing else, it taught us community can exist online and be genuine and true and be real. Right. So do that. Um, so if you find people in the comments here, form a community, zoom with each other, commit yeah. to it once a week. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that's so important. Um, remember to take care of your body. That is an act of spiritual discipline. Drink your water, do your sleep hygiene, take your meds, go to your counselor, get a counselor. Everyone needs one. (laughs) Amen. Pastoral advice. Everyone needs a counselor. (laughs) Not your pastor, Uh, a counselor. Not a a pastoral counselor, a counselor, (laughs) period. Hi. That's my husband. Hi. Um, Ryan, that (laughs) you are so awkward, James. Go away. You'll be on YouTube, buddy. <laughs> You're going to be on YouTube. You're welcome. Right. So I would say those are ways that we move forward. Um, the prophetic act, the prophetic call out, um, those yeah. things matter. And yeah. also learn the humility of being called out if yeah. when you are right. also wrong. That's good. Um, so I think those are some ways on a corporate level, we as the church need to learn to confess and lament better. Yeah. 
Totally agree. Not excuses. Um, I think some, so many times churches and institutions are afraid of saying we really screwed up in the past. We really screwed up now. We really screwed up recently um, because they think that will harm the witness of the church. I would say not apologizing is a much worse um, way of doing that. So I would say institutionally, we need to learn to apologize and lament. And that's something that individually we also really fail at. Yeah. Um, as American, we don't grieve well. No. We don't apologize well. We yep. say, I'm sorry you made me do that. Right. But right. thanks, T Swift. Um, <laughs> so I think those are some of the ways that I would point to you, particularly with scripture. Um, find someone in your community, whether that's an online community or local community. There are lots of young pastors at churches who are like desperate to have a meaningful conversation with somebody yeah. about scripture in a way that isn't toxic and destructive. Yeah. Um, that's not to say all young pastors are trustworthy because we're not. Right. Um, but start there or start with an online group of people. Um, because a lot of us were only trained to read Paul from a reformed pers- like fundamentalist perspective. Yeah. And that does a real injustice to Paul and recapturing Paul completely changed my life, you know? Um, like there's just so many different avenues that we can utilize to move forward. Yeah. And I would guess I would also say with that, like trust the movement of the spirit. Mm. Don't fight the river. If mm. the spirit is the river, don't fight the river. Let the river take you where you're supposed to be. Mm. It will be uncomfortable, but it will be worth it. So. Well, those are some great answers and a lot of food for thought. Um, where can people find you? Are you on social media? Do you have any, you know, any other platforms? Um, I'm a really bad millennial. I do have Facebook. I do have Instagram. On Instagram, I mostly post pictures of my dogs and nieces and nephew. Um, but I'm always up for dialogue and people can totally DM me and I will do my best to answer. Great. Um, so, yeah. Awesome. Well, again, Megan, thank you for making the time and coming on and giving us so much wisdom and things to think about. It was honestly a great conversation and I wish we had more time, but we'll have to get you back on maybe in the future and do a round two. Could be a lot of with Ben Kramer. Ben and I. Yes. That could be great. All right. We'll talk. So thanks again. Thanks, Tim. I came from a low-income family that was that was struggling. You see how hard life can get. GC became a part of my life because I don't want my family to fall back into that. I never thought education would take me this far. I'm still young. I still have a lot to do in my life and just want to get things done the way I want with a good education under me. I'm Stacy, and Grand Canyon University helped me find my purpose. That's the sound of me prepping the grill with Reynolds Wrap. And the sound of me not doing dishes. And the sound of me spending more time outside with my family. Easy prep, cook, and clean. Make time with Reynolds Wrap. I like the sound of that.